All right. So, Phil, are you are you enjoying life in Leave It to Beaverland? Uh, I'm just gonna say yes for the love of the game because I have no idea what is Leave It to Beaverland, but sure. You know, you know, you know the show Leave It to Beaver. Uh, my mother watches it, but other than that, no. Yeah, it's the embodiment of the American middle class domestic family. You know, house, picket fence, green lawn. Oh. And, you know, I know, I know that someone like you, you've clawed your way out of the hood, the ghetto, the streets. Uh, you know, you you've endured hardships like seeing your best friend Bishop fall off a rooftop because he didn't have the juice. Right. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and and then also your yeah, you told me once how you got pulled in. For questioning by the police because they're questioning about your friend who shot a liquor store clerk mm-hmm. the police called you a menace to society and they were uh just trying to trick you up the interrogation about what time you, you were there yeah right because they were trying to entrap me there and then there was the other time too where my friend ricky he got he got shot in a drive-by i, I can never forget that too i was like yo ricky no <laughs> and like it was so crazy to me i was like damn yeah so, yeah you know and and you know, so it's clearly you've had all these hardships and because, you know, you you know, growing up and, you know, the beef between, you know, Killer Hill and Stapleton, right? As, as, uh, and, and, you know, these hard times in the rough, rough and tumble streets in New York. And then you've you've achieved it because now you and your wife, you have a nice house in a suburban neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You've achieved what many certain people in America across certain uh, political opinions let's say you've, you've, you've pulled yourself up by the bootstraps you're, uh, you're an example of how every other black person in America young black men should be you pulled yourself mm-hmm. by your bootstraps mm-hmm. you got a house in a summer presumably right. you have a car, maybe two cars I don't know no, just one, just one. Okay. what do you get on that? so I just want to tell you are you enjoying life in your middle class suburbia that apparently you've, you've succeeded entirely to your own merit and the reason why someone like me doesn't have one is that I must be lazy. I don't know how to spend my money. Oh uh, yes, I mean every everything everything is great. Um, if if anything, I'll say everything is fine. Uh, with with how 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 it's all been going, you know, honestly, it's I'm just I'm just highly and truly blessed to be in this uh, position that I'm in. Um, well, I don't know. So on that, have you invited invited your neighbors over to your house yet? We have we've we've had uh, our housewarming uh, where you know people will come through smiling smiling faces with pie and and wine you know like I can now say Bordeaux properly like what I thought it was called Bordnax back in the day but no it's Bordeaux I was like ooh oh my god oh my yeah. god yeah you know <laughs> you gotta you gotta access now. You gotta, you gotta reach into that cultural privilege of the professional class. It's wine dinners, uh-huh. NPR, uh-huh. Uh, Black Lives Matter yard signs. On okay. no, no, not, not that. You need to have the other yard sign where it's like you probably seen. It. It's like we believe in like science in this house. We believe in science that it's just like one for every. Oh yeah 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 yeah. We what you was know, it? All, like science uh, like. Love of all kinds and like this, this, and this. Yeah, it's yeah. color like a rainbow, and it's basically just virtually signaling how superior you are and all these presumably progressive beliefs. And nowhere, and of course, nowhere on the side of this is anything about like 
economic inequality or minimum wage or unions. Yeah, because uh, don't you know class doesn't debt. exist. Class doesn't exist. Yeah, okay. no. yeah, class doesn't well, exist. But Phil, have you have any neighbors invited you to their houses yet? For uh, a couple of them, yes. We were invited. Um, I got to drink some brandy. I was like, oh, okay. Not not just like not just any type of brandy. This was like imported brandy. So where I'm from, I'm I'm used to drinking like E and J and smelling like menthols. But like this, this is like fancy stuff. I was like, ooh, okay. okay. So this person who gave you some brandy to try. Uh-huh. Number one, what's this person white? Uh, no. Number two, was this person a uh, college professor? Uh, no. Was this person wearing a tweed jacket or a smoking jacket? Or did the ja- tweed jacket have, like, holes in the elbow? Oh, in the elbows? No. Three, four, did this person make at least uh, 70K a year? I have no idea. But okay. they probably do, because, like, okay. you know. You bring, like, stuff over? Cheese? Cheeses? Uh, I bring I bring myself and and my appetite sometimes. <laughs> That's pretty gauche if you feel. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, depending on what it is, because like I would ask like, hey, should we bring anything? It's like, no, it, it, everything is fine. Like you know, just bring yourself. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I'm I'm bring myself and my appetite because I'm a so so you say everything is fine, Phil. But yeah. how come you have everybody be to your house? Uh, <laughs> how come you have dinner to your house? How come? I what if I want to have some wine and some I don't know brandy. Sure. How can everybody <laughs> be over at your house? Uh, because you live like halfway across the country, Eric. No, I live not halfway. I live on the other side of the country. There we go. Yeah, there we go. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, why don't you? You know, what? I'm gonna you know I'm gonna book a ticket right now. All right. Okay. Okay. What's, what's the earliest to what's the airport name? Just Atlanta. Uh, uh, Hartsfield Jackson. Uh, I'm just gonna put Atlanta. ATL. Yeah, a- ATL. All right. So, what's the earliest date? Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm come over. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Leave, I'm gonna come over tonight. Let's see how much money that will cost me. No. Nonstop ticket. Nonstop ticket. You know, I'm gonna go to flightsfrom.com. I don't know what that is. Uh, here we go. Today is recording on the 30th. So. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna leave Sunday. There you go. Check prices. Nonstop. Uh, all right. So you know, I'm gonna fly over tomorrow. I'm gonna pay mm-hmm. $659 <laughs> to, to have a to have a nice dinner at your house that you've yet to invite me over. Okay. So what should I what should I bring over to your uh, nice suburban house neighborhood? Uh, apple pie. Why apple pie? Because uh, that is like the most American dessert I could think of off the top of my head. You can't get apple pie in Georgia. I mean, no, they, they all they sell is peach cobbler. Okay, well, in Portland, Oregon, the fruit of Oregon is Marion Berry, so I can get you Marion Berry instead. What is that? It's a really, really tart berry. I don't like it, but I should bring you something that represents all of Oregon. Yeah, yeah. sure. It's, and you can have it. I won't eat it because you know. And then, what else? What else? What else should I bring for this? For this, for this, uh, this dinner. This can't. This dinner tomorrow. Tomorrow night's gonna cost me seven hundred dollars. That's a good question. Let's see. I don't know. What are, what are like? What are local Portland Portlandese Portlandia cuisine? I guess I don't know. 
what's Portland known for in terms of like food? Beer. Oh, like coffee. Uh, beer and coffee. Okay. Uh vegan vegan gluten free cruelty free uh non fat olive olive loaf bread sure that's thirty dollars at the new season Jesus Christ that sounds terrible yeah but you know it's cruelty free so uh, I, I I want like a little bit of cruelty in my bread you know okay. you know how have you gone to so many dinners with these middle class presumably liberal and I say liberal, not leftists. <laughs> not, that's, too, that's too radical for them. Yeah. Middle class liberal dinner parties and not eat, you know, cut off their bread from Whole Foods. Uh, because even though I live in a suburban neighborhood in Georgia, like it's still Georgia. So like it's Chick-fil-A. Keep that. Chick-fil-A is fine. Yeah. I, I, I've, you know, I'm sure some people might get mad at me for that. I'm just saying. You know what? There are we live we we live in a society <laughs> we live in a society where that is founded on capitalism, patriarchy, and white uh you know white white, white supremacy, yeah, white, white privilege. So it's really impossible to be an ethical consumer and avoid all those things. Also, mm-hmm. I haven't eaten Chick Fil A in like several years, so just so you know, people yeah. they say that as probably their grub humming whatever bullshit like you know pumpkin spice latte and the person picking them up it's probably very lowly paid they don't care mm. uh because everything is fine you know it's all fine yeah. so yeah. you can me tomorrow uh phil uh send your dollars the welcome rather welcome back you got it yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just let me know the time to come pick you up from the airport we in there like swimwear all right, everything is fine there. You know what else is fine in in, in suburbia? Uh, murder. <laughs> yes, as murder, as in this webcomic that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Webtoon series, Everything is Fine by, uh, was the creator? Mike Burchell. Right. Nominated, nominated for an Harvey Award. Uh... This is a pretty fucked up comic, I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's the say the least. I mean, uh, it really drew me in. Like, I mean, it took a while to, like, really draw me in. I'm not going to lie. But, like, once it had me in there, like, I, I was, I was in there. Um, yeah, like, uh, Eric, do you, do you want to, like, go briefly over the, the, the premise of the story? Sure, I'll read the series description. Sam and Maggie are a normal couple in a normal house in a normal neighborhood. There's nothing strange about their heads, because you will see as soon as you read this comic, everyone has giant teddy bear heads, but otherwise look normal. Mm. There's nothing strange about their heads, their neighbors, or their sweet little dog. Everything is fine. So this is a horror comic, but it's very different from... All the horror comics I've read, and I would argue, different from most of the horror comics that are available out there. Yeah. This is kind of more like, uh, I guess the closest comparison I can think of is like the Stepford Wives. Is that yes. like, uh. is that it's like, it's a, uh, you know, 
this this strange town, this strange family, this perfectly normal suburban neighborhood. But everything about it is just off. Everyone's acting off. Mm-hmm. Aside from the fact, not to mention the fact that they all have giant teddy bear heads. They're all smiling. And what's cool is that the art style reflects this like very it's a very simple car- cutesy cartoon art style, and it only adds to the to the horror, the dissonance of it, which is a word I'm going to be using a lot to describe this type of horror, because you know we've talked about we've we've talked about Infidel, we've talked about Juchi Ito, mm-hmm. we've probably done a few more horror comics, right? This one is it's more about the dissonance between the art style and the tone of the story. Because all these core comics, they look terrifying. Right. And they're all drawn in a way that's uh, Department of Truth, right? That's I would argue that's horror. Oh yeah, they're no, all, definitely. They're all drawn in like very surreal, uh, impressionistic, very expressionistic. And if you were, this is a comic that I think you could show this to a kid and by accident, <laughs> like a kid, like 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 this is not a book for this is not a comic for kids, but this is the type of thing they would think it's kid friendly. Oh yeah. And yeah, it's just like this center around this couple, Sam and Maggie. They're having what is presumably kind of the norm, normal, boring, suburban, American suburban middle class life as seen in like Leave the Beaver. Mm-hmm. And then there's just all these things that are off. Like, um, you can help me out here, Phil, because I have code. So like the dog is the dog is dead. The dog right? is dead. The, the neighbors are suspicious of one another like they it's like the way they have the way they talk to each other is always seems like they're always trying to prod into each other uh each other's lives to see what's off because um i guess almost similar to uh 19 1984 where like you can report people in order to move up in in the world um so because we get introduced to uh the other neighbors the one guy named charlie who lives by himself and likes to work on his model trains and the the next door neighbors of Sam and Maggie, which are uh, Linda and Bob. Um, a lot of, so a lot of this story, right? The way this, this setup is among these uh, cast characters, but also is also played in a way where it's supposed to be like the traditional American life, um, which is kind of funny. Cause I mean, this is a British guy uh, writing and drawing this. Um, so as we get, you know, more into the story and seeing people reactions, uh, to like their day to day, we get thrown a little bit of a curveball where, uh, glimpse and flashes of, uh, certain things within their personality start to shift. Um, so like Maggie one night wears a super sexy red dress to dinner with their neighbors and like, whoa. Like what's what's all this for? You got you got some cleavage hanging out here. You feel me? Like this is just dinner. And she's like, Nah, I want to. Let's do this. And it's like, Okay, you got it, ma. Um, and then from there it was uh their neighbor Charlie who like this whole not Paul's not Charlie. Let me rewind a little bit. There's also this one guy who's like running around with like part of his face ripped off, so you can actually see like the human mouth underneath the uh. The mask and he's like yo do you have any food i need food like is it is it poisoned and um they give him the food he's like this this smells like poison and they give him the dog and he eats the dog and then you never see him again it's like yo what is happening this is this is creepy yeah it's uh i think another comparison i would bring up with that 
It's like Get Out. Mm. The sense that it's like the horror isn't just like this 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 facade, right? And then like there's just little things that are off, and then you find out these kind of horrifying truth uh, as the series goes on. So let's back up a little bit about what makes it especially. I find this comic especially uh, catching and successful is that the art style and how that plays into its horror. Because like I said, it's playing to the dissonance, right? This art style is not, you would not expect it from a horror comic whatsoever. It's all everything super cutesy, it's bright colors. If it's, and actually I think it's kind of brilliant to turn, like this is a, I went to the original and these come out on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you're going to use a lot of digital art. You don't have time to do a lot of rendering or detail. And I think he, the artist, manages to turn that limitation into an, into an advantage for the story. Mm-hmm. And then, like, yeah, everything looks kind of the same. Everything looks kind of bare, right? Like, there's a lot of empty space. There's no details on the, the wallpaper to feed this, like, very generic-looking environment. Right. That is, it feels very empty to add to the feeling of isolation, of monotony. Uh, and also, the simplistic figures actually really work, um, especially with these, everyone having uh, bare heads. I'll let you <laughs> talk a little bit about that, Phil, and especially their lack of expression. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was brilliant because it's like you don't have to draw a lot, of, you, know, you save a lot of time in drawing. Not having to draw facial expressions for most right. of the comic, but it actually it actually makes it creepier. Yeah, because I mean they all have this like because I mean they're like uh, super stylized uh, faces of um, like you know regular dots and like a weird goofy smile on them, but then a lot of the storytelling comes from like body acting, which I feel like makes it even much more uh, even harder. Because, you know, as as humans, we, we rely a lot on our faces in order to gain, like, expressions. And even in looking at art, like, if we're looking at something abstract, we want to, the first thing we try to find is, like, a human-like shape of, like, an eye or nose or mouth in order to recognize ourselves because we have egos. Uh, but here, it's uh, done very massively where they all have the same expression, uh, where the females they have like lashes on their eyes while the males do not um and then of course like different coloring senses like in order to differentiate between the characters because i mean everyone is almost dressed the same more or less yeah intentionally they look the same they have the odd same giant bare head the only thing that like it differentiates is like the color uh certain certain characters will have a mustache yeah <laughs> the tom toms uh the police officer this is a disclaimer for listeners. Uh, you know, there are spoilers going to be given in this comic, and normally I don't care because, like, grow up. But this is a comic <laughs> that's all about it's a horror thriller, so it is kind of important. The twists are kind of key to the story, so. Oh, yeah, definitely. That. Yeah. And I think that all, uh, the, all of the police actually have mustache because, like, the the several that get introduced later on in the story, they all have mustaches. Um, yeah. So, uh, Eric, uh, how did you feel about the the script of the story? Uh, I thought it was super cool. Uh, if 
it really teases out. There's a very deliberate sense of pacing of teasing out when to drop hints that something mm-hmm. is off and when to start ramping it, give more hints. Mm-hmm. So it's enough to keep you, and it works because, again, it's the weekly series. So there's a mystery element of, like, you want to understand what's going on in this town with these people. And me and Phil, we both read uh, the first season, the first 29 episodes. Uh, yeah, 30, uh, 30, uh, is this one? Yeah, 29, first 29. And what's good is that they don't, you you learn more, some of your questions are answered by the end, but not everything. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's enough questions that you want to keep coming. Um, what I think I like is that the script, this type of horror, it's all about the subtlety. It's, it's all about just like, conveying this like all these characters are in these facades that they're acting this artificial sense of everything is fine right they're going through all the routines of the boring middle-class suburban wife or life um and then occasionally there'll be some character that said something is off i think it's actually quite clever and just walking this line of like sort of this cliche like like slice of life suburban life and amping up the cliche so much that it's so obvious it's intentional to create this feeling of this disturbing atmosphere that like this is so fake like but why is this 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 is a ruse this is all artificial and yeah. you find out later on like yeah people basically have to act like it's kind of like um i know it's a twilight zone episode but i don't know i only know this is parody of like Bart, it's like everyone has to act happy or Bart will make them disappear. Oh. <laughs> so it's just like everyone is forced to act happy. Yes, I remember that. Act pleasant, act acceptable. Mm. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And I also like that kind of the character he centers to sort of be the one that starts to show individuality is Linda, the, the mm. wife. Oh, you mean Maggie. Or Maggie, my bad. I. There's one there's one complaint I have is that all the characters look the same. <laughs> so it's kinda hard to tell who is who. You track who yeah. is who. But like uh yeah, Maggie is the, I thought that was kind of smart to make the wife the character that starts to show like there's something a little bit off. Right? Yeah. There's something kinda of wrong. And that these characters everyone's forced to forget. Um I think it's the kind of horror I really like. That it's not about like stabby stabby, you know jump scare mm. it's about atmosphere it's about a tone mm. uh, that's something that's just really off really creepy um and i think it just does a a good job at making all these subtle cues and subtle clues and kind of the horror really is in like these characters acting having hysteria right and something i really, really like is when the neighbors are starting to figure out that like the the people were following. So Linda and Bob are like trying to figure out how to report and whatnot. That's why it's something I like. Because mm. it's a different, it's a horror that's rooted in like human reactionary behavior, which I yeah. find more terrifying. It's oh, like, yeah. It's like in, you know, Spider Man No Way Home, like the very beginning of that movie when that, that girl starts claiming that Spider Man hit her. Spider Man hit her. Yeah. And like that was actually. That was actually like real anxiety. Like I felt real anxiety from that scene, and I thought they actually captured really well. Like that is how 
that to me was more terrifying than anything the lizard <laughs> in Goblin or Doc Ock did. Oh god! Oh yeah, no, definitely because like, oh my god, like he hit me. It's like, what? What are you talking? I didn't even touch you. But like because yeah, of the and then you see, and, you, and, then, and yeah, and then you see the mob just like turned on on Spider Man. Yeah, and, and that I is think, heartbreaking. Yeah, and I think this comic kind of captures that with the neighbors and and these other characters, like just this the inherent. Like, what's really terrifying is not really this totalitarian state, this oppressive, weird, Orwellian whatever state that is controlling everyone. Is these people's willingness to go along with it out right. of pure out of pure fear, out of pure self-interest. All right. Which, I mean, again, what this is what makes great atmosphere building because now it's not just like, oh, you know these people against the machine, but it's like these people against the machine against their fellow neighbors because you never know who's watching them or who's going to, like, you know, screw them over. Because, again, like, we have this trifecta of Maggie and Sam, Bob and Linda, and Charlie by themselves, right? Charlie is by himself, and he doesn't really interact with his neighbors. Like, so automatically that puts him, like, as the odd man out. But as uh, Maggie is starting to, like, remember and realize things and she sees like a kindred spirit in uh charlie right that's when it all gets snatched away and now we have to change the perspective on what's going on here which i i thought was amazing well yeah because it's also going back to like if people know the history of the development of the american suburb right mm. it's portrayed as this like in fiction and culture media it's this like idyllic place of like nuclear family family right of old-fashioned values Right. And everyone gets along and it's like it's away from the crime and the of the city and undesirable people right yeah. and, and that's actually with the development of the summer it's like yeah it's, it's you know if you know it's like it's really in white flight it's, it's white flight yeah economically pretty much white people not wanting to be around undesirable people aka black people yeah. aka non-white people uh and a lot of these neighborhoods they practice you know very intentionally right hit like overt and hidden discriminatory practices about who they can allow in the neighborhood, who who's allowed to buy a home in these neighborhoods, yeah. you know, and whatnot. And I think this comic taps into that with, like, it's, especially with its art, just the way everything is drawn. It looks like, a, you know, it look, like the way I look, I, look, I was looking at the environment, the, the, the garage, the car, it's like, isn't this just like The Simpsons? Yeah, they kind of like, it looks like the house of the Simpsons. It looks like the car from the Simpsons. Yeah. It looks like your like stereotypical plan, middle class suburb, which, well, you know, I'm all too familiar because I grew up in something like that. Even though technically, I did not grow up in a suburb. It was a real city that's been around mm-hmm. since like the 1700s. <laughs> but it, it, but like the neighborhood looks a lot like that. I don't know. If that's it. It was like it looked like the neighborhoods you grew up in. So, uh. Yes, I uh, think about it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because it's it's funny you say that because I mean I grew up um around like housing housing projects, and like once you step out of said housing projects, right, you literally go like you know up the block, or two blocks, like and then you just see a row of homes, and it's like wow, like these are some pretty nice houses. And like over here, I'm living in like you know red brick apartments, like it's crazy. Yeah, and you know. You, you got to deal with, you know, watching, you know, fighting your friend Bishop. Uh, you went crazy. And 
Try to save off the rooftop, right? Yes, you know, I extended my hand out to make sure he was safe, but like he just, he just couldn't, couldn't, I couldn't hold on. Yeah, so so kid about to you like, yeah, you got the juice now, homie. Yeah, so what what that means, I have no idea. I still don't know to this day, but like, whenever I'm outside and I see another person, they give me a head nod. I gotta give them a head nod back, and we just keep it moving, like mutual respect. So what were some uh? And this is kind of what I like is that because it's so atmospheric and kind of subtle horror, it mm-hmm. makes the moments when it becomes more, when it's more graphic, more violent, stand out even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of, I noticed the patterns that whenever there was like a content warning, that's like, oh, you know, it's going to be good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is there, is there any particular episodes or moments that really stood out to you, Phil? uh well it was the right after uh the the dinner party at linda's and um maggie is like starting to remember and she's trying to forget for the life of her she's trying to forget and she's just wandering around going like forget forget and then like linda's like hey like you know do you remember such and such she's like i don't know who that is and like yeah smart and so she goes into the mirror and then like she's getting flashbacks of like a third toothbrush and somebody in a flower shirt and she punches the mirror and then she takes the the part of the mirror and puts it to her neck. I was like, holy crap. I was like, we're going here. I was like, but it's too soon. And, you know, she was able to snap out of it and realize like doing this is not going to get me out, but I need to figure out a way to fight back. And I was like, yo, that's when it sold me. Uh, I really like it when kind of early on is when Charlie's taking Linda, no, Maggie to his basement. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's set up, it's set up at such a perfect pacing. Is that like, oh yeah, you want to see my train model? Like, okay, well, you know, it's best to come during the day when your husband's at his job. Right. So just come by yourself. <laughs> it's like, all right, it's like kind of creepy creepster. And it's just like, they kind of drag it out. And when he finally goes down to the basement, it's nothing. <laughs> it's a regular basement. Regular basement, yeah. And then that the truth is actually far more sinister and that he's trying to cover up. And it's also the, intro- the introduction of the Tom police officer character. Mm-hmm. But it's also like an essential component of horror, right? Of their own. It's like false reveals, right? Like playing with your audience expectations, which I think right. was, I thought was a very good successful example of that, right? Like, you know, the Invisible Man movie, right? Something I really like is that because the Invisible Man's like gaslighting Elizabeth Moss, and there's all these moments where you think she's gonna run into the Invisible Man, and it's actually nothing. Yeah. In some ways, that's just more terrifying because you're. One thing I think the horror stuff I, I gravitate towards, and this comic is very successful at, is that the reader's imagination is oftentimes more terrifying than what you can put on screen or on the page. Mm. And, and, and letting them build anticipation, letting them try to scramble to think what could be there, I think it's oftentimes more effective than showing something. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think that is, um, what, oh, crap, I'm, I'm, I forgot the words. Um, ah, damn it. I lost my train of thought. <sighs> Everything is fine, so forget, forget. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So yeah, no, that's why I think, um, as we get into season two, um, cause I did read like the first couple, uh, issues, 
um, like realizing more of the world building that is happening and, you know, how the area that they're living in has become so terrible and what is like the major driving force for all of them. And I think another thing too, like I, I, I feel like I have the biggest question of you probably do too, is whenever like their eye flashes red and then it's mm-hmm. like they have to comply with something. It's like, what, how does that kick in or what does that do? Like that's, that's I think another thing as well, because we're seeing a lot yeah. of, like you know um going off the rails like trying to remember trying to figure things out but then it's like this red light that goes off in their eye like it causes them to you know comply so it's like does that have to do anything like what what happens so i'm reading the q a the creator did Mm. so apparently they're cat they're cat heads not teddy bear heads oh which is i thought it was all right sure i thought they were teddy bear heads that's fine (laughs) <laughs> and it's listing off some of his recommendations, which kind of makes sense. You, you can kind of tell these are influences on his on his work. Mm-hmm. So it's Death for Wives, which apparently was a book. Uh, Uzumaki, anything about Jinji Ito. American Psycho, They Live, which you can see the influences are. Oh, yeah, you definitely see the influences of they, they Live. Yeah, but also American Psycho, because it's, it's a satire of. It's a similar type of satire of like, you know, this American yuppie life, and you know, underneath the masquerade is a guy who's a psychopath, mm. you know, a literal psychopath killing, murdering people, and everyone else is a psychopathic in their own ways in that in that <laughs> kind of culture, lifestyle. Mm. Uh, a bunch of manga, Blood on the Tracks. I've never heard of that. Blood on the Tracks. Oh, that's uh, I I've heard of that. The Girl from the Other Side. I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, no, I've never heard of that one. The Promised Neverland, which I know is an anime, and it became like you know, apparently like a super popular anime, and then everyone was angry about the way that did or something. Yeah, because like the premise started off so good. It was like real true, like the same type of pacing that was happening here in this comic. The uh, Promised Neverland was doing the same thing, but then at some point it just got off the rails, and it was like, what? What happened? So yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, here, what I want to talk about is how do you feel this comic takes advantage of the vertical scroll format and the web format? Um, mm. We talked a little bit about like its simplistic style in order to be time constraints, production constraints mm. actually works really well for the story. Uh, something I also really like is in, uh, the season one finale. 29 it's just a long like the credits are scrolling and it's just a long road just following the road in the forest for like forever as you read the credits it may feel like kind of like watching a horror movie mm-hmm. which is uh i thought it's a cool way to take advantage of the vertical scroll the other notable notable moments you thought that it made it work really well as a digital comic because apparently there's a print version which i'm kind of cur- curious to see how how well it's adapted yeah, me too. Because I, I I feel like um the 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 blood scrolls, if you will, I I feel like that's the best way to describe them as um whenever we have like the hints of red where it, it starts off darker because it was like based off the floor or based off of a wall or based off somebody's article of clothing and then it just gets brighter and brighter in order to like simulate the color of blood. I feel like was like a really good aspect of the vertical scroll. Um. 
there's that aspect as well as hold on, let me look at another one. Um, I think uh, when we got introduced to uh, oh, whenever it's the uh, like a winding road, like the first ep- the first comic of season two, uh, where it's like building up that same suspense of seeing like the trees as they're heading to uh, Lakeview. So like that, that was that was, a, that was another good one too. Yeah, it's, I think it's always good to whenever they can work in the story, like vertical movement, vertical designs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the digital coloring actually helps a lot because it's all these bright kind of gradients and whatnot. But like I said, it could, it contributes to like the bareness of like these suburban houses. Right. I mean, there's one complaint I have about reading Webtoons comics is that because everyone just has to draw digitally and use gradients and models to make their productions, yeah, end up looking kind of the same. Mm. Uh, And I think this is actually used to its advantage to create a very unique uh, story and atmosphere. Right. Definitely. Especially when you, you know, choose the fact that everyone is going to have the same face. Um, it it really helps to have you know the differentiation within that coloring, and uh, I would say that this comic goes with a very pastel uh color palette, like a lot very very soft blues, very soft purples, things like that. Like the colors feel very soft, so I think it adds to this dichotomy of like you know soft friendly colors, but like insidious underbelly of society. Yeah, and then even more contrast when there's like very shocking moments of violence or disturbing moments, and it's just like bright reds and real Mm. danger. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool, unique comic with a really cool, unique look. And there isn't really any other horror comic I've seen or read that's quite like this. Mm, No. Because like it's all more supernatural, the horror tends to be more upfront. So this is a. I thought this was really cool. This is something, if I could vote in the Harvey Awards, I would vote for this, but I missed my chance to, <laughs> to, to vote for it. Yeah, same here, because like, this this is very good. So, you know, shout out to, uh, I think we're having another British invasion, because, you know, last week we did Zoe Thorogood, and now we're doing uh, Mike B, or Mike, uh, what's his face? Bert- what you, you, you say is good, or what you say it's just fine duh i see what you do there and i would say everything is fine yeah uh i if i ever meet this artist i will i will tell that person and hopefully he'll get the joke and not take it as an insult (laughs) oh gosh all right um is there any anything we want to go ahead and close out on any final thoughts already uh, I have a code. I'll find a code. So, no. Uh, I want to go back to lying down and watching either Gangs of London or The Wire. Okay. So. I respect it. All right. And if that's the case, all right. Uh, I'm Phil Fleming. I'm Eric Wong. All right. And we are the, the um, Desperate Housewives. Ha, 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 ha.